Well, good morning, First Family. You know, the stage looks awful empty with just me up here, don't you think? I think I'd rather have the children back, and I bet you would too. I wouldn't blame you. We're talking about peace today. And when we were getting ready to come today to talk about peace, it seemed almost ironic that we should talk about peace in a time of war. In my lifetime, we've not known a moment like this where conflict seems to be at every hand and we're caught in this really unusual time. The uncertainty that comes with war is all around us and it causes the peace that the Prince of Peace came to give us to somehow be lost. If there's ever been a time, though, that we needed peace, it's now. And I want to tell you today, friends, the kind of peace that the Prince of Peace came to give us is an unconquerable peace, one that, that cannot be and shall never be vanquished. Before we begin, let's take a moment and pray, thanking God for that peace. Today, Jesus, we, your people, those under your domain, those who are blessed by your peace, those who know your strength through peace, we have gathered to thank you for it. We have asked, Lord, for your wisdom and we seek it now. Help us to know how we can find the peace that only you provide and help us to seek it only in you, for we will not find it anywhere else. I'm grateful, Lord Jesus, that you are the Prince of Peace and that the peace you bring is the peace you guard, the one that passes all understanding and the one that stands guard over my heart. Use it now, Lord, to encourage those who will hear this. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are talking today about peace. And let's be clear, friends, the opposite of peace is not war. The opposite of peace is chaos. And chaos is exactly what the enemy loves to stir up. We see it all around us, a reminder all the time that chaos is where the enemy thrives. He likes us to be anxious. He likes us to be at war. He likes us to be conflict-driven and to continually stir those things up. So when you see him, understand what Jesus said in, Matthew, in John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Don't let it surprise you, friends. Don't let it surprise you. Instead, embrace the second half of that same verse. But I've come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. Now, this is the thing about life. As citizens of the kingdom of God, we live under his rule. And what is a key part of that rule? Peace. And in that peace, we can celebrate God's goodness. Today and every day. Go with me back to that passage in Philippians. You remember Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians to people who don't know what the church is supposed to look like. They don't know God at all, and so he's explaining to them how it is that they can walk with God and how they can understand him. And where is it that he starts his, his, his thought here? He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it, rejoice. It's as if Paul is saying this. Rejoicing is an act of the spiritual will. He isn't saying rejoice when it's easy or convenient. 
He simply says rejoice. He doesn't advocate rejoicing for when things have gone your way or when you're in prosperous seasons. He says rejoice. I'll say it again, rejoice. Joy can be found where we are because, get this, we live under the domain of the Prince of Peace. Because we live under his rule, we can afford to rejoice. You know, there's a movie that's quite old now, but it's one that I've come to love. Maybe some of you have seen it too. Zorba the Greek. Now, maybe you didn't come today expecting to hear a story about a movie from the 60s, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway. In this movie, Zorba is captured. He is taken far from home and put to forced labor. And no matter what his tormentors do, when he has opportunity, Zorba dances for joy. It is absolutely baffling and to some infuriating. But finally, finally his boss comes to him and says, Zorba, teach me to dance. I always love that line. It makes me smile every time because he realizes there's something that Zorba has that he needs. Now, if that's true for Zorba the Greek, who we have no idea what he believed in, if anything, how much more should it be true of us who know the Prince of Peace and have him living within us? Friends, I want to tell you, this is the moment in time that we get to rejoice, not because it's easy, but because we're invited to it. I got an email and had a conversation this week with one of our friends in Israel. He lives in Nazareth. And for the first several weeks of the war, he was in hiding. He was in hiding because although he is Israeli, he is also Palestinian. It's a difficult time for him. He wrote to me an email, and it's what caused me to call him and say, my dear brother, <laughs> are you okay? He wrote to me with joy. And he said, let me tell you, Darren, about all the amazing things God has done since this conflict started. How God has opened doors of opportunity for us to talk to people. It has been incredible. I honestly worried about his mental state. Seriously. And that's why I called him and I said, hey man, I got this email from you, but I'm a little bit worried. Somebody hacked my email not long ago. I want to make sure yours didn't get hacked. No, Darren, I mean it. God has been good to us. We've seen the movement of God in his hand and his spirit that we never would have seen otherwise. May God continue to do his work through us. <laughs> now that's an act of rejoicing of the spiritual will. In one of the darkest moments they're likely to know, he starts a party. You know, that's what God's presence does. God's presence invites celebration. This is because we can celebrate. The very fact that Jesus came and instituted this rule that he has as Prince of Peace means that we can afford to celebrate. I want to give you a couple of things to do at home. Here's one. Bringing the light of God's word into my dark world gives me reason to celebrate. If you are not one who normally spends time in the word of God, over the course of the rest of the year, then I've got a challenge for you. I want to take you on a dare. From tomorrow to Christmas is 21 days. I want to challenge you. If you're not one who reads the Bible regularly, 
Take the Gospel of John, which has 21 chapters, and read it over the next 21 days. Each chapter is approximately a narrative, a story, a story about an individual who encounters Jesus and has their life changed by him. Now that's a generalization, but generally that's true for the Gospel of John. Maybe you don't have time for a whole chapter. You know what we did? We got some more of those devotional books, those Advent books that I promised you. You'll find them in our common areas on both sides. Grab one of those, read the passage of scripture that goes with it, the devotional thought that goes with it, and ask God to illuminate that in your heart. Here's what I think you'll find. God's word brings light into darkness. If you're uncertain, if you're unsure, then I think God's word will make it clear. Here's another thing I want you to take home. The overwhelming tide of God's goodness washes over my ingratitude. When I'm ungrateful, when I look at what somebody else has and I wish it were mine, then that's when it's time for me to go back to how good, how good God has been to me and be thankful all over again. It's a reminder, God's goodness calls me to himself over and over again. And how do I respond to that goodness? Well, here's how I respond. Right praying brings Christ-centered peace. I encounter him through prayer. That's verses six and seven. Let me read it for you again. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, prayer has been often regarded as a remarkably passive choice. We see something happen that's bad and we say, well, we'll offer thoughts and prayers. And for many of us, we think that's the end of our responsibility to say that we'll pray. But I wanna encourage you to see prayer as the Apostle Paul is describing it here and realize that there's a problem that we have to fight. Anxiety and worry steal my peace. The word used for anxiety here is the word in Greek that has a picture with it. It's of things being pulled apart, things being separated, as if things are trying to be torn in half. This is what anxiety does to us. It steals us by pulling us in opposite directions. The physical consequences of anxiety and worry are something we already know. Headaches, backaches, neckaches, ulcers, elevated blood pressure, all of these are physical consequences of giving myself over to anxiety. And so what do we do? We try to protect ourselves, don't we? We put things away. We store them up for things that, 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 that will have, have a, a protective aspect to it. I wanna show you a picture of a guy who tried to save a car that he dearly loved, and so he parked it out in the woods and he left it there to protect it. I want you to see what happened to it, all right? It's a 1962 Ford Falcon. No doubt he meant well by parking it where he did. Now, you might say, how did that happen quite the way? That's the way the story came to me, so that's the way I'm sharing it with you. This is the exact opposite of what he meant. You reckon? He didn't mean for it to happen like this, but he was so worried about protecting what was his that he lost it anyway. I want to encourage you to recognize, my friends, to ask yourself this, what has worry, what has anxiety ever brought to me? What has it accomplished? More accurately, 
What is it stolen from me? I want to give you another alternative. Prayer, rightly used, recenters me. It would have been easy for the Apostle Paul to say, well, just pray about it. But he doesn't. He doesn't. Instead, he gives us something of a structure. Now, you might say, but it's difficult to pray. Ah, but friends, even in difficult places, things can grow. I want to show you a couple of pictures of that. I found this picture this week. This is a courthouse in Indiana. I'm not sure how the tree got up there to start growing, but now it is growing. And not only that, it's become something of a tourist attraction to some, come see the courthouse tree. I'm even told they light it at Christmas. Now, is that true? I guess I'll have to drive to Indiana to find out. But I know this, that tree did not let its situation or location determine its growth. It decided to grow even if it was in a weird place. Or maybe look at this next picture. This is a tree in the middle of a lake. It's in Oregon, of course. Why wouldn't it be in Oregon? It's a tree. This is not where one would expect to find a tree. But somebody forgot to tell the tree. He just grows because this is how God has made him. Prayer rightly centered on Christ causes me to grow too. I want to give you three things to right praying. One is adoration prayer. I want you to see it as Apostle Paul talks about it here. By prayer. This is a general term for making our request made known to God. It's not to inform God of things he doesn't know. It's for me to acknowledge where I need God's interaction. If I ask for his help, get this, if I ask for his help, then I acknowledge I'm not big enough to fix it on my own, but that he is. It moves me from self-reliance to confidence in who God is. It recognizes his concern for who I am. Well, here's another passage you can jot down that will go along with that. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Cast all your cares upon him, for concerning you, it matters to him. This, friends, means that adoration prayer means I'm getting in to adoring God. The next kind is supplication prayer, an earnest sharing of needs and problems. And here's the beautiful thing, my friends. It doesn't even require words. Sometimes the most passionate supplication is voiceless. In Luke 23, we find Jesus at the garden. He prays so earnestly, it's as if he was bleeding. Sweat drops of blood came to the surface. This kind of prayer is anything but self-centered or half-hearted. It invites vulnerability and access to our hearts. It demands that I get honest with God and invites me to place those things that are burdens in his care. Now, after I've adored him and after I've told him what I need, here's what I do next, a thanksgiving prayer. When we recognize how good God has been to us, a thanksgiving prayer is all we can offer up. It causes me to say, God, thank you for how good you have been to me. Thank you 
that you came looking for me because I could never reach up high enough to get to you. Thank you for delivering me from who I used to be. In Luke 17, we have the story of Jesus healing 10 lepers. There were 10 of them that were healed, but only one of them came back. In that story, I want us to be the one who came back. All 10 of them were healed, but nine of them walked away saying it had something to do with me. So what should I expect if this happens? The result of right praying is the peace of God. When prayer is rightly used, it changes me. It brings me something I can't find somewhere else. It helps me remember the world does not revolve around me, but I am the center of God's heart. It anchors me to the certainty of God's capacity to meet my needs and leads me away from fear and anxiety because I've put it in his care. I want to remind you, when Paul writes this letter, he is chained at least to another prisoner, if not to another soldier. He is a jailbird when he sits down to write these letter, this letter about the peace of God surpassing all understanding. So surely if Paul can find himself that way, yes, it's possible for us too. Not long ago, there was a picture taken in an airport of a soldier traveling home. He was traveling home with his canine companion, the dog that had worked with him while he was in his active service. The thing that caught my attention about this picture was that the soldier, weary as he was from his travels, laid down on the airport floor, I would not advise that, laid down on the airport floor to rest. The dog took a position of laying over the soldier's back at the ready, guarding. The dog was not sleeping. The dog was wide awake, knowing that his master needed some rest. I will suggest to you that in that scenario, that dog is Jesus, and we are the sleeping soldier. He stands guard over us, waiting, waiting to protect us from whatever might come, and resting is our position. It means that we recognize this is God's fight and not mine. I know how hard that can be sometimes, but that's why it's a constant discipline. Here's a couple of things I want you to do at home. One, protect yourself from anxiety with prayer. These kind of prayers, an adoration prayer, a supplication prayer, a thanksgiving prayer. And here's another thing while you're praying, pray on purpose. Not these weak kneed milk toast prayers of, oh God, just do something good today. Ask God for what you need. Ask God for change. Ask God for transformation and trust that he will do it. Right praying leads me to right thinking and right thinking retrains me for right living. So he ends this section with a proclamation, verses eight and nine. Whatever, brothers, is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Transformed inside and out.
the change that takes place on the inside overflows to the outside. The axiom that was written some years ago is still true. Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. Transformation. Sometimes it happens in ways that we can't explain. When I think of the word transformation, there's one thing that comes to mind. The Transformers movie. Maybe you've seen them. If you do, you probably recognize this truck right here. Now this is a regular truck when it's in this form. But when he needs to change, he becomes something far different. Go to that next slide, Arnold. Optimus Prime. Anybody like Transformers movies besides me? Thank you. I knew I'd get some testimonies. What I love, what I love about this movie is when the need arises and he changes just almost automatically. And then when it doesn't need anymore, he goes back to what he was before. I want to tell you, friends, the Spirit of God longs to transform you too. He wants you to be changed, not into a mechanical warrior, but rather to a Christ-centered servant, one who longs to find God's peace and share it with others. Well, how will you get there? By right living? I want, you to give you, I want to give you a few things that Paul's command offers. It's simple. Think about these things. Whatever is true. Dr. Walter Calvert, uh, Walter Calvert, he reported a survey that he did not so long ago that 8% of the things people worried about were legitimate matters of concern. 8%, that means 92% were not. Of that 92% that were either imaginary, never happened, or involved matters in which they had no control anyway, most of that was nonsense. Let's remember that Satan is the liar. Jesus told us that in John chapter 8. He wants to corrupt our mind with his lies, and he wants to twist God's word, just like he did with Eve in the garden, Genesis The Holy Spirit, though, when he comes in and transforms us, he controls our minds through truth. Whenever we believe a lie, Satan takes over. We need to focus on what is true. And when I say true, I don't mean your truth or my truth. I mean the truth, Jesus himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said, meaning he is always the truth, even if we disagree. Whatever is honest and just, that's the next thing, worthy of respect. If it's not, it's not worth the space in our heads. It doesn't mean we hide our heads in the sand, but it means we keep close tabs on what we're allowing into our minds. Whatever is pure, lovely, and commendable, Morally pure, even if our culture disagrees. Lovely, as in worthy of affection, worthy of my time, worthy of my energy. Something of commendable, a good report. Something that you wouldn't mind talking to your grandmother about. Whatever possesses virtue and praise. In case I missed anything, Paul says, here's the final metrics. 
If it has no virtue, skip over it. If it's not worthy of praise, leave it behind, for it will not last. And here's where it takes me. Jesus showed me this pathway so I can show you. See it there at verse 9? Whatever you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. You can't separate outward action from inward attitude. Sin will always result in unrest and the loss of peace. When peace is present, though, God's will is too. After all, he is the prince of peace. What I need is a radar, one that constantly turns. What I need is a radar that will tell me when there's something, something that is going to steal my peace. What I need is something to be on the lookout. Well, friends, I want to tell you, I have that radar, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit giving it life. I want to give you one last thing to take home with you. Pray for and seek transformation through time in God's Word and with God's people. You're doing both right now, and I commend you for that. Wonderful. But I want to encourage you, friends, if the only time you're doing that is here, you're starving yourself. Make sure that you're taking time to feed yourself through the course of the rest of the week. Now we come to the time when you get to do something about what you've heard. What you've heard is that peace is possible. It isn't even likely in most other contexts but it is possible in Christ. Why? Because he is the Prince of Peace and he longs to bring it into your life. He longs for you to invite him into that role. You see, just because he's the Prince of Peace doesn't mean that he'll throw it down on you. You must seek him. He's a gentleman. He won't force his way in. He longs for you to say, come, Prince of Peace, into my life. Today, we want to give you the opportunity to do that very thing. Now, this invitation is a little different because our orchestra has filled up the places down here, and praise God for them. I'm not disappointed in that. So we want to do this invitation a little differently. Come meet me in the Welcome Center instead. Today, this is the day God has given you for making a decision. If you would say, I need the Prince of Peace in my life, then what I want you to do when we sing that invitation time song, go out and find some of my staff members. They'll be out there waiting for you in the Welcome Center. They are longing for you to meet them there. You don't know who they are? Find them with the name badges. You don't know how to find them? Find the people with the tags around their neck. They'll help you find somebody to talk to. Maybe... You've already done that, but you've never been baptized. You know what? Three weeks from today is Christmas Eve. Three weeks. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper that day. We're going to celebrate by lighting the last candle. The one thing we don't have that day is a baptism. Maybe you need to be baptized. I can't think of a better Christmas gift to give yourself than getting that knocked off your list. It's the first step of Christian obedience. My prayer is that if you are that person you'll step forward and say, me, I need to be that person. I want to encourage you, friends. Ask the Spirit of God how you need to respond. Maybe you need a church home. 
you know, we'd love to have you be a part of what God is doing here. I'm excited about it, and I think you should be too. Come to the Welcome Center and meet us there, and let's talk about it. Maybe you just need somebody to pray for you. Meet us out there, and let's talk. Let me pray for you. And now, Lord Jesus, we come to respond to you. We come to respond to you because we know you're the only one who can meet our needs. There is peace in you, and Lord, we need it. I pray, Lord Jesus, for your movement in this place, that it would not just be the first Sunday in December, the second Sunday of Advent, it would be a time when we encounter you. And just like the writer of the song that we'll sing in a difficult time, we'll find peace in you. Do your work in this invitation time, Lord Jesus. We, your people, stand ready to hear from you. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here's your invitation. You need to come down here and you want to talk to me? That's great. I'll be waiting for you right here. You want to talk to somebody? They're waiting for you out there. My prayer is that you'll use this invitation time however God leads. Stand with me and sing as you come.